This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and a very warm welcome. This incredibly is the third episode of the Radio Times podcast with me, Jane Garvey, and Rihanna Dillon, who is our resident TV expert and guide. And actually, you know what you've done? You have changed me. I'm a changed woman. <laughs> I love this. I was in denial about the charms of sex education. Yeah. I thought its peculiar relationship with place and time mattered. I now know none of it matters. And I am loving sex education. This makes me so happy. Honestly, when you messaged that, I was just over the moon, a convert. I feel like I'm enlightening. Really? Gosh, I wondered what you were going to say. I was hoping for something like empowered. But no, what you said was still lovely. And I can reveal that this week on the podcast, we have Gillian Anderson and Jason Isaacs, who's new to the cast of this series of Sex Education. Mm -hmm. And also poor old Mr. Groff, a little bit of Alistair Petrie as well. Um, Now, what you've actually had quite an important week in your life, haven't you? Yes, I bought my wedding dress, which is really exciting. It's the first thing I've done. Actually, it's the first thing I've bought in relation to my wedding. It was the first shop I went into as well. It's a secondhand dress shop. Do you know who wore it last time? (laughs) Actually, I don't. They call it pre-loved. Actually, they don't call dresses it. They call it she's and hers they give them female pronouns which is quite confusing I've got to be honest for the first half an hour this is a whole new world (laughs) I had no idea what they were talking about just take me into this world briefly so so yes we walked into this lovely little boutique me and my mum and then um, this woman started bringing out all of these dresses and kept saying so she's pre-loved she had her (laughs) her day back in you know 2018 (laughs) and just while we're on the subject I mean we're relatively new podcast pals yes but I mean there must be some roles that perhaps on the big day are you wangling for a for a maid of honour could you come and DJ listen I mean how are your spinning skills you may laugh but um, it's not impossible come it would be great talk to my agent I'd love to have you there Right, Okay. so let's talk about what's on TV this week that you really should make an appointment to view. We've decided really this is the good stuff, isn't it? Or at least stuff that we can pretty certainly recommend. Yeah, at least sink our teeth into. And I think one that I was really excited to talk about, especially with you, was 28 Up, because I just had an instinct that you would have been a fan of this the first time round. Because I remember watching this with my mum as well and just being so entranced by the idea of a television company following the same group of people every seven years started in the mid-60s as Seven Up and went on and we returned to these same people every seven years and then we had a new generation, the Millennium Generation, which is the one that we'll be talking about today. This is the the BBC successor to what had been a massive ITV project organised, overseen by this documentary guru called Michael Apted. It finished with 63 Up and it had followed this astonishing cohort of people, British people, through most of their lifetimes, let's be honest. But it was that was heartbreaking at times. Mm. There were some standout participants in that that show. Neil, I think, is the guy that most people who watch that will recall, who ended up 
quite a troubled soul. Tell me about this new BBC version. Well, it's again, it's like you say, it's just a snapshot of society. You know, it, it follows all of these kids. And it, I, what I really liked about it was that it took us right back to when they were seven, to when, I hear my mask, when they were 14, when they were yeah. 21. So we were reminded of their stories so far, which is really important. And they do the, the kind of classic thing of comparing what they wanted to do when they were at school compared to what they do now. Um, and there are some really gorgeous optimistic stories in there. I feel like this feels so much more positive perhaps than the last series. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you think maybe we are perhaps too pessimistic about life and it's possible that things have got better? Oh, Gosh, I hesitate to... I know. Well, I think we're, we're so used to being cynical nowadays, but I do think things have changed. And obviously, as we just talked about, opportunities for women have changed massively. Mm. So, for example, there's a young woman, Courtney, from Liverpool. And just hearing about, she always knew that she wanted to do good, I think. And so just to see her path and to what she has become, mm. what she wants to do, she wants to help teach disadvantaged children. I just think it's so lovely that she's sort of taken that through from the age of seven all the way through to now. It won't surprise you to hear that I did <laughs> really like Courtney and I was watching I was watching a preview of the show on my laptop and I honestly was welling up at the, pro- the progress made by Courtney yes. who was such a sparky and articulate seven-year-old mm-hmm. girl but she'd already weighed things up mm-hmm. and she knew life I don't know didn't seem entirely in her favour yes. but she has now, she is now a person who does good and seems very much at ease with herself highly intelligent mm-hmm. motivated young woman i just i really am interested in what she goes on to do another one was sanchez was yeah. a real standout for me because again so optimistic he'd become a footballer from a very young age and almost sort of made it into the big leagues and hadn't quite so then he turned his hand to like sort of hosting abroad in a hotel which then became part of a reality show which is such a story of now isn't it yes <laughs> footballer then reality star and if you know he was already a reality well, star it is I guess. quite meta all this <laughs> and now he's a radio host for bbc leeds which i just think again he was so happy to try his hand at all these different things and never give up even when it felt like he wasn't necessarily getting anywhere i think that that sort of message is so important and i think we've got a bit of sanchez yeah we have we've got a bit of sanchez talking about his career abroad or his hopes and dreams about working abroad I think the show allowed me to do that, regardless of the scenarios that they kind of set up or how they wanted it. I know that as long as I'm on the camera, I'll be able to put that out there. I networked, I was speaking with artists and musicians and everything you can think of. It was literally the time of my life. I made me realise there's more to life than Leeds, than the UK. There's opportunities everywhere. And it only just made me just think bigger. And you're right, because like a lot of little boys um, and some girls now, um, which is brilliant, he dreamt of being a professional footballer. Mm-hmm. He did play for Leeds. Mm-hmm. I think he only made one, one appearance, appearance in the first team. And that could have been the end of everything and he could have been bitter, but he didn't appear to be. No, and so it's just really interesting to see across the board how these people, what these people aspire to be and why and their backgrounds. I mean, one boy on it, he, he I think, said on 7-Up last or whenever it was, maybe 14-Up possibly, that he wanted to be a joiner. And he just kind of pulled that out of the air Mm. because he didn't really know. And so someone who was watching it, who was a joiner, said, you can be my apprentice when you're 16, which I think has its pros and cons, right? Because the show itself is then influencing your path. And fate might have allowed something else to happen had you not been involved with the reality show. Gosh, that is... 
I'm disappearing up my own fundament <laughs> trying to work that one out. Um, and there was also a guy who I guess there were some like him in the original um, series over on ITV, the, the frankly upper class upper individual. Upper class, Eton. Yeah. went to Eton. Eton and then on to Yale, uh, a man called Oliver. But he turned out to be not necessarily the person you might expect. No, either. I found his story quite charming as I did well. too, yeah. he, he seemed so much more aware of his privilege than perhaps previous generations yeah, would have absolutely. done. I think that's something that's really important and, you know, we really need to take on board that I, this has a positive impact on people. It, re- it really does and I, I, you won't be surprised to hear I heartily recommend this and you loved it too, didn't I did. you? It's 28 up and it starts BBC One Wednesday the 29th of September at nine o'clock. Now, a bit of drama over on ITV. Shall we talk Hollington Drive? What about this? So this is a, about a community in a cul-de-sac who are shaken to their core when a little boy goes missing and a clip. One of our children has gone missing. Nothing is as it seems. If you know anything about where Alex Boyd was, don't keep it to yourselves. Nothing is as it seems. My son is missing and we just want back. Please. Um, I didn't find the kids in the park. I found them by the woods. Did you too see him today when you were out? And it stars Anna Maxwell-Martin and Rachel Sterling as sisters. And if you think that sounds like a familiar pairing, it's because you might have seen them together in the Bletchley Circle, which I had a lot of fun with. Um, Anna Maxwell-Martin, Line of Duty, Motherland, she's very funny in that. And um, Rachel Sterling, who just has the best voice in the world. It starts off, I I suppose the very domestic setting is very recognisable, having a barbecue in your very expensive garden, your beautiful house, worries about motherhood and being undermined by the father figure. I thought all of that was really interesting and touched on something that um, I think a lot of people can probably relate to. This is all about the nature-nurture thing, isn't it? Because at the heart of this drama is, you could argue, a slightly tasteless Mm -hmm. plot suggesting that a child conceived through rape might be capable of something very unpleasant. Yes. So all the way through, we see this mother, Anna Maxwell Martin's character, telling off her little boy and telling him not to grab And you people. wonder why at the start. Yes. You? And yeah. you're like, well, why is she? And she she's grabbing him while she's telling him not mm. to grab people. And it's obviously something that's really innate for her. And then as the episode goes on, you find out why she has such a issue with this. What really struck me about this, and it has occurred to me before watching drama of all sorts, in fact, telly of all sorts, mm-hmm. is that everybody's clothes looked immaculately <laughs> ironed and pressed. And that is not real life. You know, when they start, when they're having the barbecue at yeah. the beginning, yeah. um, everyone looks neat. And at any barbecue, there's somebody with ketchup down their front. Oh, and, yeah, normally uh, me. Well, and, and me and a blob around their mouth. Yeah. And these, these people don't seem to be... Ha- it's just... I don't think they even ate the barbecue. They didn't eat anything. That's the other really weird thing. Say, like, give me a burger. You know, it's all... I, I don't... I just seem to have seen a lot of that. Um, yes. So I don't know really how I feel about also there was a lot of empty spaces as oh, well the ultimate 
again, a kitchen with no clutter. Yes. Please. With children, with with young children. children. Show me a normal house. Yes. Please. It's the kind of the realism that you want from these sorts of dramas, just to let you, just to give you a way in to the otherwise slightly ridiculous storylines. And to be honest, I do want to keep watching because of the quality of the acting. And I want to see what Anna Maxwell Martin and Rachel Sterling, I want to see them come to some sort of emotional blows because they're two power weights, I think, of, mm. of TV acting right yeah. there. I just found it, if I'm honest, I found the central the central idea a bit icky, which doesn't mean I'm not going to watch it, so I'm the hypocrite here. If you liked Harlan Coben Safe on Netflix or Broadchurch, which I believe you can still watch on BritBox, or Deadwater Fell, which is on Channel 4, for all four, then I think this will be very much up your street. Or cul-de-sac. Good. Well, when we finished uh, scaring ourselves stupid uh, last thing at night, worrying about uh, missing children, which when you think about it is pretty awful. It's such a strange way to round off your day, isn't it, really? I've often thought that. And it starts Wednesday, the 29th of September at nine o'clock. There is comedy around. um, There's something positive. And I don't think many people will dislike The Goes Wrong Show. I'm obsessed with this series. I think it's in its third series now and it's from the Mischief Company who do the play that goes wrong and comedy about bank robbery on stage. I think there's not just in the West End now, I think they're touring. It's lots of slapstick involved. Um, It's also really cleverly choreographed. It's basically an anthology series. Each episode, they tackle a different play, in inverted commas. (laughs) Yes. Um, And they cover things like historical dramas or prison breaks... There's loads of brilliant plays on words in this. It can be a bit naughty and a bit tongue-in-cheek. What did you think? I laughed more than I expected to. (laughs) Sometimes a trifle reluctantly, but (laughs) I laughed nevertheless. And honestly, if I had a a spare half hour on a Monday night at Mm 8.30, I would go to BBC One for this. Can we just have a quick clip? This, the first one, is about, well, it's a classic drama. I mean, it's so typical of the sort of type of thing that we all kind of, up to it if you're my age, certainly grew up with. Mm -hmm. An Edwardian country house, somebody's coming back from the First World War, and everybody's sitting around um, having afternoon tea and there's a gardener footling about with a wheelbarrow. Full um, of manure. Full of manure, (laughs) yeah, which crops up quite a lot. Anyway, here we go. Here's a quick clip from the first edition of The Goes Wrong Show. We have to move on. We have six minutes to finish the whole play. No, 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 Susan died while I was away. Of typhoid. It doesn't matter. Close the house. Scene three. Morning, Jacob. It's quite difficult to do a very visual show yes, in hard. audio. Uh, it's hard. That's a gag that crops up quite a lot, it does. actually. Um, I told you it was a bit naughty. <laughs> oh, yes. It's very spicy. Not one to watch with your maiden aunt. Blah, blah. I mean, some jokes you can see coming a mile off, like when they introduce goulash and galoshes. You, yes. you know exactly what's going to come. But actually, that's part of the fun. It's very much like pantomime. You do want to join in with the... Well, if you've ever been exposed to acorn antiques, there's a lot that will ring bells that's here. That's so funny. You are the second person to talk about that in two days uh, with completely different... Who was the other person? <laughs> it must have been somebody highly intellectual. The Goes Wrong Show starts BBC One Monday the 27th of September at half past eight. And sometimes Mondays can be a bit dismal, can't they, Monday nights? I think this is one to curl up with and you'll, you'll enjoy it, honestly. You definitely will. Now, Gunpowder Milkshake is new on Sky Cinema and you can get it on Now Television as well. Uh, What is this? It's about a young woman whose mother was an assassin and she's grown up to be just like her and then an eight-year-old girl comes under her protection and she has to avoid them both getting killed. Some bad men are coming to hurt us. We have to go where it's safe. 
I'm gonna teach you to always guard your back. Hi, Mom. My grandmother. God, no. <laughs> God, it's so breathy. It sounds wow. awful, doesn't it? What was going on there? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so this is all about the star quality. Karen Gillan is in the lead role, so you'll know her from Doctor Who, yep. Amy Pond, and also the Marvel Universe. She plays Nebula, and also the Jumanji se- sequels. So what... <laughs> she's... <laughs> this is such a horrible thing to say. Karen Gillan is a little bit of a charisma vacuum in this, which is such a shame because we know how funny and charming she can be. She's not allowed to have an ounce of humour in it, which for an action comedy feels like a huge oversight. They've put a lot of um, time and money into procuring quite big names. So her mother is Lena Headey from Game of Thrones and Fighting With My Family, amongst other things. And then there are the aunts, Angela Bassett, Michelle Yeoh and Carla Gugino. They've got some massive names in here then. Really big. And they, they sort of play the guardians of a library filled with guns and knives and tomahawks and they're also assassins. Um, <laughs> so for somebody who, for somebody who loves books they every single gun that you see comes out of one of those uh, books that's kind of been cut out you know where they have the the knives and the guns hidden in the books so that that for me they'd ruined a whole ton of books just to make a hiding place for guns which is the wrong way around it really is that's (laughs) absolutely the wrong way around um the violence is is very cartoony and over the top i think they're trying to be almost like a female john wick are you a fan of the John Wick? No. No. Um, on Netflix, I think, if you are, though. And they perhaps attract, will, and perhaps it will attract fans of Birds of Prey, um, you know, the spin-off from The Suicide Squad with Margot Robbie. And if you like violent films with blood spurting everywhere, then you will probably enjoy this. Just don't look too hard for a plot that makes any sense. Just enjoy the spectacle. Exactly. If that's your kind of spectacle. Mm-hmm. Um, that's about two hours long. It is, yeah. Right, that's quite a commitment. But no, nothing like the commitment expected of viewers of the new James Bond movie, which is two hours, 46 minutes long. Well, you know, we've waited for about 300 years for this film, so they're just giving us our money's worth, right? (laughs) One way of interpreting it. Um, I should say that the new all-new edition of the Ultimate Listings magazine, the Radio Times, features on the cover Naomi Harris and Daniel Craig. Look at them. They're a very good-looking couple. They are a good-looking couple. Well, couple... No, pairing. A pairing. All right, I think let's, we'll, yeah. let's settle for pairing, pairing and leave it right there. <laughs> OK, let's move on then to Sex Education, which um, came actually came out on Netflix September the 17th. Now, I suspect a big chunk of, of the core audience of Sex Education has already seen the whole lot. Yes, I, uh, because they I are bingers, so. this crowd, aren't they? Absolutely. And you can't not binge this. It's the kind of show where you get to the end and it's so uplifting and sweet and funny that you just need a further injection of that. Do we need just a brief explainer of what sex education is? I mean, lots of people listening will be absolutely on board with it, will have seen it all. But if you aren't certain, can you describe it in a couple of minutes? Sure. It follows a high school boy, Otis, and his mates. His mum is a sex therapist and he's very, very aware of... What needs to be said to teenagers to help them out in their predicaments? So he sets up this sort of sex clinic with his friend Maeve. Um, they make money from it, uh, but they also provide a lot of really useful information which kids just aren't getting anywhere else. So 
they kind of stop chlamydia outbreaks and they make sure people wear condoms and they make sure people are comfortable in their own bodies and having sex. And um, so that's kind of the premise. We're now, it's now in its third series, as you said. And we are just falling more and more in love with these characters as they develop and grow, given all of this information that they now have at their fingertips. Yeah. We should say the lives of the teenagers in this, they are fairly shambolic, but also, so are the lives of the adults yes. who are supposed to be guiding them. And I find that one of the most refreshing things about it. <laughs> no one in this show is remotely sorted. Um, there are some new um, cast members this time round, not least Jason Isaacs, who is playing the really irritating brother of the rather tragic figure of Mr Groff, who was the head teacher at Moordale High, yes. but is no longer. They've done such a great job, actually, in this particular series of doing a 180 with these characters that we really hated in seasons one and two and now are really quite tragic characters or we start to fall in love with them a little bit. I'm I'm really impressed they do this with Ruby as well. They do it with the bully, Adam, um, and they do it with Mr Groff. And Alistair Petrie, who plays Mr Groff, was obviously delighted to have the addition of Jason Isaacs playing his brother. That's the brilliance of this show. You can phone up Jason Isaacs and say, would you come in and do a bit um, in the show and you don't have to do too much persuading. So, um He's, uh, he was great. He was really great to have on board. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure to have him in the show. And I talked to Jason earlier this week and asked him um, whether he'd be happy for his daughters to get their sex education from sex education. Well, I hate to sound like a snake oil salesman, but actually I think sex education is the best thing ever to happen to sex education. I don't think any parent could do it better. I think any book could do it better. I certainly don't think the internet and people's telephones or big brothers and big sisters and junk mail links have been doing it better for a generation. Not only am I thrilled that it exists and that I know both of my children have watched it, uh, I'm doubly thrilled that I've never had to sit in the room while they were watching it. I was going to ask you about that. Would you be prepared to do exactly that if required? I do sit and watch uh, what now is maybe less technically inappropriate things because they're older, but still I watch deeply uncomfortable things with my children all the time and uh, and we avoid eye contact for as long as possible until the memory's faded. Uh, what happened in your youth um, when that sort of thing? I can remember being hugely embarrassed at home when um, romping occurred on television. As sure. Well, my, my whole youth was just watching telly. That's all we did, my family. We crammed ourselves around the telly. I remember watching Bokeh of Barbed Wire. Oh, I don't yeah. know if anyone's old enough yeah. to remember it. Um, but a whole bunch of other uh, deeply sexual things, and we all just would not talk or mention it to each other or some... One, I had three brothers. One of us would think that we're being clever by actually mentioning something and making us all squirm further. But we did nonetheless watch it. I think Jonathan, I think the body in question, Jonathan Miller's series, uh, was even more uncomfortable than overtly sexual things. But um, uh, it is great that it exists. Something, not something like, there is nothing like sex education. It's great that sex education exists. Uh, there are so many images and messages and stories out there that misrepresent the world and confuse and scare people about what they should or shouldn't be encountering or doing. Um, this, apart from just being a very entertaining drama, it, it has, it does something ex, uh, extraordinarily important for uh, a generation of young people, not just in what it's putting out there, but in what it's countering. Yeah. Okay. It's countering. Well, porn is one of the things I guess yeah. it's countering. Well, not one of the things. That's it. There are, you know, the uh, imagery and the the impression that sex is this thing that happens between grotesquely shaped people. Uh, it makes people scream, and that uh, women like are being treated you know, roughly. And uh, I don't know. I mean, whatever. There's every shade of porn for people to watch out there. But I understand that uh, 
people are drawn to watching more and more extreme images because they're available. So, uh, yeah, but there's, there's no version of porn that is preparing people, children or adults, really, for how to encounter the opposite or the same sex in a way that is um, loving and consensual. And I wonder whether you think uh, maybe programmes like sex education, and you are right, there isn't actually a programme. There is nothing like sex education. That's the point about it. That's why it came along and and kind of blazed its own trail. But I'm a parent too, and there's a part of me that's quietly rather grateful that sex education might be doing a job that really you could argue I should be doing. Um, You couldn't, you couldn't. Do you think? Okay, you're probably right, but go on. Well, I I don't understand, uh, rather, I don't understand the argument that says that any young person will be comfortable with their parent talking to them about, you know, I've got daughters, for instance, talking about how important it is that that sex is a pleasurable thing for them and that they help someone else, like Caitlin Moran talks about in her book, you know, help someone else understand what their body needs to uh, enjoy themselves and how they reach orgasm. That's not a conversation any dad or frankly, any mum wants to have with their child. But I do think that by watching sex education, they realise there's A, every shade of desire and uh, the most important thing is conversation. And, uh, and that ultimately, it's a thing, it's one of the few things that we get to do as human beings, which is just enormously good, fun and rewarding. And if you do it, uh, and if you take control of it in the right way, it can be a pleasure for the rest of your life. That was Jason Isaacs talking about the fact that whether we like it or not, and some of us might pride ourselves on being really enlightened parents, having those conversations has never been and still isn't all that easy. So thank goodness for the existence of programmes like Sex Education. We should say, as a sort of public service, the certificate is 18 on this. Which is really interesting because I feel like a lot of the information that comes through the programme is something that you need from an earlier age, actually. But I guess their Netflix is not a public learning forum. No. It is an, entertainment, an entertainment platform. Yeah. Um, and so that's primarily what they have to concentrate on. So I do think this should be at the parents' discretion. I also talked to Gillian Anderson and she, of course, is, well, she's not the central character because this is very much an ensemble piece, but the key character of Jean Milburn, the sex therapist and mum to Otis. Now, she is in this series, series three, pregnant, heavily pregnant, we assume with her on-off boyfriend, Jacob. So I started by asking Gillian if it was the inconsistencies in Jean's character that made her such a pleasure to play. When I first read the script, that's the first thing that I said to the exec producer and director, Ben Taylor. I was like, you do, I, I, I can't, how? How is this woman all of these things? She's a professional therapist. She's written books. How was she going through her son's drawers and listening outside his door? That just doesn't make sense. But then actually, after a while, it was me that needed to have my, my brain switched. That is essentially who she is. She is incredibly complex and um, confounding sometimes. And pregnant. (laughs) And pregnant. She is indeed, yes. Now, um, how has this happened? Um, Because Jacob's had a vasectomy. Your character is 48. Now, it's not impossible. It is unlikely, isn't it? It is unlikely, and uh, uh, but not apparently impossible at all. And um, if you watch the show to the end, you will find out how. All right. Well, I'll definitely do that. Um, I have got two daughters with whom I will not be watching Sex Education, although I know they have always watched it. 
Is there a chance that actually the existence of this programme is a bit of a cop-out for parents like me? So I'm letting sex education educate my children because I'm not sure I can. What do you think of that? No, they don't want to talk to you and it's embarrassing and you end up saying things that you think afterwards, why did I say that? And what, you know, it's 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 an impossible lose-lose situation. And so I, I, I'm not sure if if um, if them watching this show is everything that they need to know or necessarily even should know. And I don't think that it's by any stretch a substitute. You know, in my own experience, I think they need to know that even if it's awkward, they can come and it's in safe environment for them to come and say anything they need to say or admit to anything they need to admit to. And unless we extend that to that that safety net to them they're not going to know that so um i think that perhaps it's a bit of both but i have to say i I am living happily in the denial that my children do not watch the show and so um i'm with you in one regard so you don't know whether they've watched it or not or you hope they haven't I hope they haven't. When it first came out, I told them they weren't allowed to. I have no control over what they do at their friends' houses. I have no control over what their friends show them. I have no, you know, and I have had the conversations with them about certain aspects of the show and also the importance of certain aspects of the show and conversations that are had that aren't usually had on television that are very important, if not vital for young people to hear and the degree to which the show is both um, colorblind and accepting of everybody, uh, no matter how they wish to show up in the world, I think is one of the most important things that is um, that is represented on the show. And so if that is all one gets from it, then it is doing yeah. an exceptional job. It's true, isn't it, that as we're growing up and we feel always imperfect and awkward, had I had access to sex education when I was an adolescent, I think I'd have felt less awkward. Oh, my God. And felt like you're understood. And there are other people out there having the same experience. And when you just want to die and call up and, you know, not go to school or reveal yourself or or any of any of that that happens when you're going through certain stages of of adolescence to be able to to witness those same experiences in in other human beings that you can also look up to because they are dealing with it in their own way, getting help in their own way, struggling, reaching out, trying, failing, all of those things to see other people having that same uh, life experience, I think is incredibly healing. If you don't mind, I was going to ask where it was you got your sex education from? Did did you have lessons at school that were helpful? What was it? Good question. I don't remember whether I had lessons at school or not. And I don't believe that I had it at home. I probably had it from boys. Yeah. You mean you mean you, had, you did practical um with Yes. Yes. Um which may or may not have been helpful. I I don't know and probably yeah. goes No, exactly. And especially today I think because of the acts what the access that kids have on the internet and what they they can be subjected to or the rabbit holes that they can go down which is you know are incredibly I think psychologically sociologically damaging and not helpful at all. 
So uh, if you were, and you said you, you have talked to your children about some aspects of the programme, although you do admit you're not certain whether they've seen it or not, I would say um, the issue of consent is is very prominent through, throughout the series, isn't it? Um, well, I think the issue of consent and also, you know, last year we we had, an, uh, you know, they dealt, the show dealt with abortion and, and that was initially one of the conversations that I had with the boys just in terms of the importance for um uh, for choice, particularly if there has been, you know, in the case of rape or incest or, you know, or, um, you know, teenage pregnancy or whatever it is that ends up having an impact on uh, on a young woman's ability to make choices for herself going forward in her life. I think that was, you know, that was very important that the show dealt with that. And what was good about the abortion episode was that it was dealt with, um, well, it was, it was just, it was practical. It was, wasn't was especially emotional. It was sorted out with relative ease. But of course, it's only a couple of weeks since everything happened in Texas and uh, women there really would struggle to get an abortion at the moment. Um I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know how many viewers this series has in Texas, but it does make you think, doesn't it? Uh, yes, it really makes you think, and it makes you think about you know historically moving forward. If 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 Texas can can pass that, and it has no, and it's you know supported by Supreme Court, then what, where where are the rest of us headed in in the states anyway? But that's a much bigger conversation. No, but it's 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 obviously pivotal to to young women's lives that they do have access yes. to um, safe and, and legal abortion, um, and also the issue of of sexual assault, which is is dealt with again. There's the character of Amy who has the experience on the bus, and it's one of those incidents that I suppose if it wasn't you, wasn't your friend, wasn't your daughter, you might have been tempted to just sort of brush off. But it's it's much more significant than that, isn't it? Well, it is. And it's interesting how the writers ended up presenting it in the fact that Amy herself was wanting to brush it off as being nothing. And it was, you know, her friend Maeve who who kept pulling her up and saying, hang on a second. This isn't nothing. And you actually need to report it. And, and it is a form, you know, it, it is a form of abuse in a way. And it ends up having huge impact on her life, which is, you know, I have to imagine from the writers knowing how they uh, research this stuff is, is very much at, uh, how things can play out in young women when something like this uh, happens in their life and the impact that it then has going forward. One thing I really like about sex education, I like lots about it, but is the fact that the adults are every bit as confused and calamitous, really, in their personal lives as the young people. And it, <laughs> it, it does it does make me... Re- I, when I was young, I thought I would be sorted. Um, yeah. Did you, did you think the same? Or perhaps you are sorted? I don't know. Oh, I'm definitely not sorted, and I'm not sure I ever thought I would be sorted. But I experienced that in my own in my own life, particularly I think amongst my girlfriends. You know, I, I don't think it's uncommon for adults at any point to kind of still feel like they're not grown up yet, or what? At what point am I going to start feeling like I'm the one that's the grown up? And you know, it's it, it is an interesting conundrum that. But I think what's great about the show is that it shows human beings at whatever age trying, you know, trying to behave, you know, trying to change their behavior. Try, you know, if they've acted out childishly, 
that it there seems to be an opportunity at some point to adjust and behave more responsibly and adult-like, etc. And I think to some degree, even if we're in our 50s, we're all still trying to do that. And the fact that sex education is set well, it's neither in it's not in a place or time I could easily identify. And when I first started watching it, that was what blew my middle-aged mind. And it was actually my kids that told me that it wasn't relevant and I should stop overthinking that kind of thing. Did, did it's you- so funny because, um, yeah, the, I had the same uh, conversations with my partner in, in not in just not understanding that that actually in this day and age and with the the main demographic that uh, Netflix was going for, that they would not care, that they would, you know, that, and, and I think that was very hard for us at our age to wrap our brains around was how is that, but it's not, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't, how, what, what, and, and actually that the Netflix was actually proven right from the very second it, it aired. And, and in fact, it is only, um, it only adds to it. That is Dr. Jean Milburn, a.k.a. Gillian Anderson, who just was relating to my point of view that I think I expressed in last week's podcast that initially I simply didn't get this and I felt I needed to get it and put it in a time and place before I could enjoy it. But in fact, I was wrong. I am slightly concerned about, I mean, already, and I know it doesn't really matter and I'm carping again and I've really enjoyed it. Some of those pupils do look like they're let's be generous, in their mid-twenties yeah, and I think that's, beyond. That's something that I think they always will always do forever in teenage yeah. you know, yeah, you programs. Yeah, because you actually have teenagers playing these parts, no, can you? you no, you can't because it is explicit. You know, you do see a lot and so you have to make sure that these actors are very comfortable already in those sorts of roles. We, we probably should acknowledge that not everyone loves sex education. And there are... What? Point me in that direction. Well, there, are, there have been people who've carped in particular about the storyline involving Mr Groff's son, Adam. Yes. Now, he is now in a relationship with Eric, who's mm-hmm. an amazing actor. Um, Shooty Gatwa. Just so good and so watchable. And he's so Scottish in real life. Is he a Scot? Yeah. I did not know he's that. He's incredibly okay. Scottish, so I really love him doing well, his. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> Tell me just a little bit about the backstory there. So I had a real problem with this, which is basically Adam was a bully and... And, you know, he was a very homophobic bully um, because he was secretly gay. And they've they've sort of made Eric fall in love with his bully and his abuser, which I I just think was was dreadful storytelling. <laughs> I really hated that. And I thought in a in a program where you think that you should be absorbing messages and lessons, etc., alongside all of the entertainment, that is not a good one to put no. forward. And yet in this series, they really have made something special out of that relationship and they have turned it again into something when they're talking specifically about two gay men having sex and the intricacies of that. And that's something that you just don't see on TV very often. So it has become a learning. Yes, I mean, absolutely. I think that is in episode two of this new show. And the, the astonishing frankness, I think, honestly, and I mean no disrespect to you, Rihanna, but you have to be my age to understand why... This is extraordinary. Yeah. I agree with you. I think it's helpful. I'm glad it's there. Mm-hmm. But the thought that it could be there mm-hmm. 
when I go back to my own adolescence, it's simply astonishing. Well, I think that I grew up with American Pie as, as sort of being, you know, the... <laughs> Your sex education. The epitome of what sex was like on screen. And since then, we've had like Russell T Davies at the helm of things like Banana and Cucumber, which I believe is still on all four, if you want to go back and look at those. Again, really frank, open conversations about homosexual lives. It's, it's really great to see the direction that TV is going in, in regards to breaking boundaries down. And it is a super inclusive show mm -hmm. that may not be perfect, but is doing oh. a very good job, I think, of, of raising a lot of issues and just making people feel less anxious and worried about themselves. Mm -hmm. And if it's doing that, then that's got to be great, hasn't it? So that is Sex Education, third series available now on Netflix. So now it's time for what is basically one of my favourite highlights of the week what we watched, where we take a trip down memory lane and look at some of the iconic moments in TV history. And this week in particular, we focus on one of my favourite TV shows of all time. Wow. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cast your mind back to the 24th of September in a bygone year. Mm -hmm. Pride and Prejudice, the BBC's massively popular adaptation of Jane Austen's novel, debuted on BBC One in this year. And it was six six-parter and it gave us, amongst other things... Colin Firth in a, in a white shirt. That moment. Yes. <laughs> that moment. It was also the start of a new sports quiz show called They Think It's All Over, which then ran for 11 years and was hosted by Nick Hancock. It's got a referee. Oh! Some captains. Oh, my word! And some comedians. Do you know anything about football? <laughs> he's, wearing, he's wearing a crash helmet. If it's grown to let me know. His first syllable was like... Hands, fingers. <laughs> yes! They think it's all over. A brand new sports quiz for BBC One. Don't miss it. Thursday, 10.25. It looks a bit naughty. I think that clip is a fairly good illustration of why I never watched <laughs> and in fact made a deliberate a deliberate effort not to watch they think it's all over maybe there were do you think women ever appeared on it I don't know it doesn't sound as though they did I can't remember because they I must have had a, a nod to a it. female every now and again yeah I think it was from memory it was a very testosterone-y quiz mm -hmm. uh, I mean they still exist those shows don't they but even I mean now they have got the message that it's not appropriate to have quizzes all, like that with shows, no yeah. women at all. Absolutely. I mean, they're still, they still only seem to do the occasional nod, to be honest, on some comedy panel shows, but yeah. that's an argument for another time. Yes, well, I'm sure we can cover that in another <laughs> pulsating edition. Um, OK, anything else from that year? Because I'm struggling a bit. Well, who could forget this incredibly... <laughs> The cult hit, which just had a plethora of characters, something that our nation could sit down to watch every Saturday night, had a plethora of characters, people to fall in love with, people to boo. It's Gladiators. The South African soccer star in serious trouble. Wolf locks on, chews him up, spits him out. Home win for the Wolf. We suspected as much and he didn't let us down. At least he hasn't brought the proceedings down. Oh, hello, I spoke too soon. Wolf having a pop. And Wolf sending Patrick up and then pushing him down. And again, the whistle's being blown and the crowd are giving him the bird. It's all turned ugly. Wow, Wolf was so game. Some cracking voices as well in that clip. The referee was a fiery Scot called John Anderson. Voiceover guy was John Sachs, which if you're me, that means something. And if you're me, it doesn't. Not Sorry. so much. Sorry, John. I used to take um, it so seriously when I used to sit down and watch this. You know, you sort of believed that it was quite real and that Wolf was really the villain. Do you know what? I've, I think, I'm not sure of the year, but I think this was honestly a sort of Saturday night when I would be out 
that just yeah, to, to illustrate the difference fair. which I, I was out <laughs> I'm sure in these years I, I, I mean hope I was because I don't remember watching much of Gladiators Ulrika Johnson was the host wasn't oh, she lovely Ulrika yeah. yeah no she's nice um, I, um, I were well, never really for me this but it sounds tremendous fun um, right I am now oh god this yeah, is come on, what's one. the year well it narrows it down if I think I might have been out so I'm thinking <laughs> the 1990s I mean you must have watched Pride and Prejudice though right I did watch Pride and Prejudice and my link to that is that I queued up behind Colin Firth in a pet shop within living memory, <laughs> which I have to be honest, takes some of the sheen. Yeah, what, of... was, the, what was the view like from... Were you behind him? All well, I remember is it was a very dull, wet <laughs> Sunday afternoon. That got a bit brighter? A tiny bit brighter. I was I was queuing for birdseed and he needed something for his kid's guinea pig from memory. I shouldn't have been eavesdropping, but what can you do? It's got to be the 1990s. I'm guessing 97. 1997. It was 95. So oh, close. once again. Um, so we've had some people comment on this particular year. Jerry remembers being blown away by the amazing new comedy called Father Ted and still loves it so much now. And Claire, I've got an issue with Claire Fuller, who says, Pride and Prejudice, starring the dreamy Colin Firth. Shame the series was absolute rubbish. Would rather read the book. I mean, the book was, Claire. of course, superior. Jane Austen wrote it. You can't really get much better than that. But the series was not rubbish. No, rubbish. I mean, have you seen television lately? That was not a rubbish series. <laughs> if this has evoked memories of your own, the things that you were watching, what you were doing, any funny stories, then email the show. It's podcast at radiotimes.com or find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Radio Times. Thank you for listening this week. Don't forget your edition of the Radio Times magazine, all the listings and so much more on the cover this week. Daniel Craig and Naomi Harris. And I was only saying to Rihanna earlier, Naomi Harris has, I think, the perfect face. I remember <laughs> I remember interviewing her years ago. She was also really charming and intelligent yes. and nice, and you don't forget that. No, and she has luminous skin. She's, She's gorgeous. Utterly <laughs> luminous. Uh, the Radio Times is out now. Follow wherever you get your podcasts and join us every week on the brand new Radio Times podcast. It's produced by Something Else for Immediate Media. See you next week. 